Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. So we're continuing our discussion of the power of positive confession, which again is based on the book by Apostle Frederick Casey Price, the book by the same name. And in our last two sessions, I discussed with you a number of challenging experiences that I witnessed firsthand in the life of Apostle Price, including the financial losses he suffered. He lost really at one point everything. The loss of his firstborn child, his son, health issues, and he was plagued with a constant plaguing of fear and worry. Now I explain by actual examples how Dr. Price used this power of positive confession that we're talking about to meet these challenges and bring about the restoration of all the things that he had lost in his life, all of the things that he had lost, including the birth of a new son. Now, as I pointed out last time, the mission of God through the ministry of Jesus is about restoration. We're given this word about restoration throughout the Bible. But the thing here is that Apostle Price learned the words that promised restoration and learned the other promises of God and confessed them. Also, with knowledge of the word from the Bible that he believed and confessed, Dr. Price was able to defeat the fear and worry that had plagued his life, and he moved into a stage where he could finally enjoy that peace of God that passes all understanding, that peace that we're all entitled to if we move into it and receive it. Now, the question is asked, what makes God's power work? Apostle Price writes simply, and you have it right there, what makes God's power work? is not for us, not for us to talk or confess the negative circumstances, what we see, what we feel, even what we think or what we are experiencing, but rather confess God's remedy, God's cure for the situation, which he gives us in his word. Now, that is what changes the situation, and that is what faith is all about, you having faith in God's word. The faith that must be present is your faith in the word that you hear, believe, and confess. Here, faith is acting as if the word of God is true. And we'll talk about that again a little bit later. Now, the Bible is quite clear that the word we hear and learn to be effective has to be mixed with faith. You have to add belief and faith to the word that you hear. It's not enough to hear the word and it's not enough for you to confess it. You must believe it. And Hebrews 4.2 reminds us of this. Hebrews 4.2, you have it at the bottom of the page, says, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith to those who heard it. Now, we all know that faith became the hallmark of Apostle Price's life. His entire ministry was centered around teaching the believer, that's us, 
how to develop faith by hearing and by understanding the Word of God. Developing faith by hearing and understanding the Word of God. He has said often that after salvation, the most important thing in the believer's life is faith. And we see this in the scriptures. We see it in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, familiar scripture, which says, the just shall live by his faith. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, which we all know by heart, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And we know in Hebrews 11.6, it's not written there. You can mark it down if you want to remember it. Hebrews 11.6 said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, walking by faith and not by sight means walking by what the word of God says and not by what we see, think, or feel. Mixing faith with hearing the word, Apostle Price writes this. He says, as I told you before, 30 years ago, I began finding out what God said about me. And I began, I began confessing what he said about me. Since God cannot lie, I began to say, that's me. In other words, that's me that he's talking about in his word. Praise God. I'm blessed going out, blessed coming in. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field. I believe I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I believe God should supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, you can readily see, because you know most of these scriptures, that everything Apostle Price began confessing in this little segment right here comes directly from the Bible. And the scriptures are Deuteronomy 28, Isaiah 53, verses 5, 1 Peter 2.24, and Philippians 4.19. Now you will notice when you look at these scriptures again that the actual words spoken by Dr. Price in his confession are the actual words from these scriptures. This is the essence of what the process of confession is all about. It is saying the same thing that God said about you. Very important to realize that that if you, want to know who, if you want to know who you really are, look at what God says about you. Stand on that and confess it, and you'll become who you really are. And you can become who you are because you are who you are. <laughs> okay? That's a play on words. But in other words, you can't become something that's not already in you. So you, you can get healed because you're already whole. So, and that's what the word tells us. Now, Apostle Price points out that the reason you have to say or confess, in other words, speak it out loud, the word, the word of God, is because there is a divine law in Romans 10, 17, which says, and you're familiar with this, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There's actually no better voice from which to hear the words of truth than your own voice. Because you can say them all the time. You can develop faith from hearing your own voice. And remember what Romans 10.8 says. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You have to confess the word of God, which is the word of faith.
Now, as I said last time, other than yourself, who needs to hear you speaking these words because from hearing, you develop faith. The other two who need to hear you say what you say is God and Satan. God needs to hear his, his word spoken to you so that he can confirm his word with signs following, as we see in Mark 16, 20. We see also in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, where God says this, I am alert and active, watching over my word. Why? To perform it. When he sees his word spoken, he is eager to perform it. He is eager to confirm it. And that's from the Amplified Bible. God stands ready to perform his word, the word that you confess. It is God's readiness and commitment commitment to perform his word that you believe and confess that puts the power in the power of positive confession. Again, it's your believing in the words that you confess. Now, at the same time, Satan needs to hear you confess what God says about you for this reason. Your confession of God's word becomes your protection against you saying something negative about the situation that Satan can use to attack you. Remember what we are told in 1 Peter 5 8. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, see, we have an adversary. It's a devil who walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, without realizing it, when you confess or speak the negative circumstances, you're opening the door and giving Satan a license to fulfill what you are saying out of your mouth. Now, notice what 1 Peter 5 eight says. He says, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Notice that it doesn't say this. Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion because he is not that. He's really more like a toothless tiger. When he walks around acting like a roaring lion, and then when you give him something negative to say that he can turn against you, then you give him the power of a roaring lion. But he's not a roaring lion. He's a toothless tiger. Now, God wants us to copy him. Instead of saying negative things about our situation, by faith we learn to say such things as praise God. I believe my need is met. Praise God. I believe I am healed. Praise God. Uh, I believe, I believe, I believe. Whatever you're believing God for or the word for. Now begin to take God at his word and confess this word and you will become the recipient of the things your heart desires. Whenever you take his word, and confess his word with your mouth over your life, God is duty-bound to honor and confirm his word in your life. See, he's given us his word, and what he expects us to do is to take this word and act on the promises. He can't make you act on the promises because we all have free will, but he's waiting for you to act on what he promised so he can confirm this in your life. So why does God want us to say everything with our mouth? And I've discussed this in previous messages with you. He wants us to pattern ourselves after him. Everything God did, he did with his mouth. He did it by his words. And we see this clearly in the first chapter of Genesis. 
In the first chapter, you will continually read where it says, and God said, and God said, and God said. And you will notice that nothing came into being until after God said. It is no accident that the Bible records how God prefaced all of his creation with words. Like, let there be. We read, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Light did not appear until after God said it. Now, this is important for people who think that thinking produces everything. Thinking is very important because thinking that obviously affects what you say. But it didn't say that God thought that light should be. He said, God said, light be. Let there be light, and light was. Now, why did God record the creation in the Bible this way? Apostle Price writes this, top of page four. God wants us to copy him. God is a talker. God is a sayer. God said, let there be. Be what? Let there be divine health in my body. Let there be. Be what? There to be no sickness or disease in my body. However, this is Apostle Price writing, however, I need to say it. Remember, God requires us to confess not what we feel, not what we see, not what we understand, but what his word says, because our faith will never rise above the level of our confession. You have to speak it. You have to say it. Now, again, God wants us to use the creative power of the tongue to, I was starting to interject something there, but that's all right. <laughs> what I was going to say is we need to say things other than gossip, other than things that are acrimonious, other than things that attack other people, other things that tear down other people, other things that, that tear down ourselves to say those things that edify ourselves and to edify other people. Uh, he wants us to use our tongue to speak or confess those words that are life and beneficial to our well-being and avoid saying those words that are negative and destructive. And this is why he warns us several times in the Bible about the positive and negative use of the tongue. In the familiar Proverbs 18.21, which everybody in this room knows by heart, God tells us death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a lot of power. That means that you can speak life to your situation or you can speak death to it by what you say. In Proverbs 6, uh, uh, verse 2, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 2, we're told this, you are snared, meaning you are trapped by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. This is a case where, as we say in law, what you say can and will be used against you. That's what Proverbs 6.2 is saying. What you say can and will be used against you. We already saw earlier, Satan will use it against you. He will feed it back to you with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. Remember, you said, remember, this is what you think. Remember, this is what you believe. Because of this great power that resides in the tongue, Apostle Paul writes in his book, that's the book, The Power of Positive Confession, from which we're teaching that you need to develop the habit of speaking life and not death. 
Now, I'm going to talk about sickness. And Apostle Price deals with this in the book. It's because sickness remains a major challenge to believers. Sometimes we think that when we're born again and we're saved, that that's the end of all challenges, especially physical challenges, illnesses. And it seems sometimes that the, the, the door just opens at that point. So because issues of life and death, health and sickness are such prevalent challenges in the life of the believer, Apostle Price discusses in the book a number of other scriptures in the Bible that we should learn to confess. One example that we can and should confess is one that we already know. Psalm 103, uh, verses 2 and 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Three, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. How many? All your diseases. There's no disease left out. So when people say, but you don't understand, this is cancer, this is different. They told me it's in stage two and a half and it's advancing rapidly. It says he heals all diseases. Now what Apostle says about this, the scripture in Psalm 103 is that we should make it personal. And where it says your, where it says heals all your diseases, you should, you should insert your name in the spot. In other words, where verse 3 says, who heals all your diseases, you should put your name there. Who heals all Mary's diseases, all Uncle Balti's diseases, put your name there. This word of scripture is for you, so you can now, so you now can say, praise God. Thank you, Father, for healing all my diseases. You have to believe and confesses if you ever expect to have it manifested in your life. Now, another familiar scripture about your health is Isaiah 53, 5, which you know, Isaiah 53, 5, which says this, but he, referring to Jesus, he was wounded by our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, you have to see the words in the scripture personally. You have to make them personal. Verse 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In each one of these four designations, it's clear that the reason why Jesus took these things upon himself is so we would not have to. God does not believe in double punishment. He does not want both his only begotten son and his adopted sons, that's us the believers, to pay for the same crime. In the natural world of man-made laws, we adopted God's view in this respect here with the institution of the laws against double jeopardy, where you don't get punished twice. Jesus, and we say this in communion, well, I'm about to say it in the next line, so let me just say it. As we say on Communion Sunday each month, we know that whatever things Jesus died for, and this was, of course, all illness, all sickness, all disease, etc., among all the other things, whatever he died for, we were delivered from. Jesus did all these things for us so we would not have to suffer them. By his stripes, Jesus took upon himself each and every illness and disease that mankind could possibly suffer. That is why the scripture can say, 
by his stripes we are healed. Since Jesus suffered this, or that disease or illness for us, we don't have to bear them today. So at the first indication that a sickness is attacking your body, your confession should be, praise God, thank you, Father, that Jesus took my infirmities and by his stripes I am healed. This is using the power of positive confession. Now, you will recall that in his mission, I'm in the second paragraph on the page, top of page six, in his mission, this is Jesus, healing the sick was perhaps a key part of the earthly ministry of Jesus. Healing was perhaps the key part of the ministry of Jesus on earth. Everywhere he went, and you can see this in scripture, scripture, the first thing addressed was healing. Why did healing play such a prominent role in the work of Jesus? I didn't mention it here, but probably because there were so many sick people. But in the spread of the gospel, Jesus would always remind the audience that he was fulfilling the prophecy about him that had been foretold in the scripture, the scripture being what we refer to as the Old Testament. Now we see this fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah that we looked at already, set forth in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, which records this. This is Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. When evening had come, this is verse 16, they brought to him, brought to Jesus, many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed how many? All who were sick. 17, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. Again, since Jesus took our infirmities, took your infirmities, you don't have any. If he took them, you don't have any. Therefore, you can confess, even when you're challenged, I am free of all sickness and disease, and I have no infirmities. You can stand on that. Do not accept sickness and disease. I have pointed out before that Satan has no legal right to put sickness and disease or infirmities on us. You do not have to accept the sickness and disease. If you are attacked with an illness, apart from the scriptures that we have already looked at, and there's so many more on healing, you also have the process set forth in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, which you hear practically every morning when we invite you to respond to the healing line. That's James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. In 14, it says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him. For what? For his healing. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. For what? For healing. Now, in the prayer of faith, this is important. It's all important, but the prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, anyone sick refers to anybody. That's anybody who's sick. The word says that the elders of the church will pray over the sick, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. This is the key. It should be an is there. This is the key, the prayer of faith. Now, is it necessary to anoint with oil, as some would suggest to you, to bring about healing? The answer is no. 
You do not have to anoint with oil, but you can. So what is the oil for? Apostle Price answers this for us. Apostle Price says this, the oil acts as a point of contact through which God can move. See, some of us are so earthly bound and so physically oriented that it takes something tangible for us to release our faith. So God accommodates us. He comes down to our level of faith. The oil is not anointed. The oil is not what's important. What is important is our faith. It is a prayer of faith that heals the sick. The scripture does not say the oil would. Faith heals, not oil. Thank God that the prayer of faith does heal the sick. So you have to believe and confess and say it for it to work for you. Now, in the scripture about pray, uh, the prayer of faith, healing the sick, and in other scriptures that we have cited, and also the other scriptures that we have in the scriptures uh, that we find in the Bible, we can see a very important fact, and I underscored it, and you should pay close attention to this, go back and look at it over and over again. A very important fact is revealed to us. This fact is that God clearly tells us what he will do for us in his word. And from that point on, this is important, he tells us what he will do for us in his word. It's set forth in his word. I, I taught a whole series on this, which included the promises and the warnings and the gifts and the love of God and so forth. Uh, that was why do we study uh, the word in the Bible. The fact is that God clearly tells us in his word what he will do for us. And from that point on, God deals with us on the basis of what we confess and do about his promises that are contained in his word. It's what we do about these promises. Positive confession causes God to confirm his word. A negative confession will nullify his word that, uh, that is there on our behalf. Remember, God's system is designed to work by his word. That is why he gave us his word. Because without his word, there would be no way we could ever exercise faith to believe his promises. You see, you cannot exercise faith in a vacuum. There has to be some object to set your faith on. In the case of God, the object is his word. That is why Satan works so hard to keep the word of God out of your hands. And he works really hard and succeeds in too many cases. He keeps the word out of the church. Because you can go to some churches and you can hear everything but the word. Or you can hear a distorted view of the word. He tries to keep the word out of your hands and out of your mouth, trying to separate you from your faith. That's the motive and the mission of Satan, to separate you from your faith. If he separates you from your belief in faith, then he's got you. You're done for. Satan knows that if believers learn how to confess the word of God, they will, they will open the floodgates of God to move on their behalf. So how does God move? On behalf of the believer. God moves on our behalf by confirming his word that we speak. You speak his word. You speak the word that deals with your particular situation, and he confirms his word. Again, and I've given you this before, but I'm going to continue going over 
the same scriptures because faith comes by hearing and by hearing and by hearing. It not, does not come from having heard. It's hearing it over and over again. So God moves on our behalf by confirming his word that we speak. And we see this confirmation process in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. This is Mark 16. This is the last chapter in Mark. And it's at the end where the Great Commission is being given by Jesus. But this is uh, Mark 16, verses 19 and 20. And 19, uh, verse 19 says this. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, them being the disciples, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. That's where he is today. 20, verse 20. And they, again the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Notice again, as I pointed out, that it did not say that Jesus confirmed them, but he confirmed his word. But this is the bottom line. If there is no word confessed or preached, God has nothing to confirm. If there's no word confessed or preached, God has nothing to confirm. Now it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, and words do matter. Words do matter, and to show just how important our words are, Jesus says this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. This is Jesus speaking, and how do we know he's speaking? That's why I put it in red there. Because this is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. At 34, Jesus says this, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's saying, if your heart is filled with evil, how can you speak good things? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 35. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. But I say that every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So you can see how important your words are. Now let's understand something here talking about out of the abundance of the heart. Your heart is your spirit. We're not talking about this physical pumping of blood instrument that we have here, which is very important because if it didn't pump the blood, we wouldn't be here. We're not talking about it. We're talking about your inner spirit, your inner man. This is a part of you that has been born again. You know, when you're born, you're born again, it doesn't affect the body it's not the soul that's born again. It's your spirit that's born again. It's your inner spirit that's born again. So Jesus did not say out of the abundance of the head. It hasn't been born again. And this is where so many Christians miss it, especially those intellectual, academic Christians. They think that they have to deal with and understand God intellectually or scientifically. In other words, they've got to prove his existence. No, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, your spirit man, the mouth speaks. Now, whatever is in your heart, that's your inner spirit, in abundance, is what will come out of your mouth. 
<laughs> this is a funny one that just popped in my, in my head, and I can't say the full thing, but if you're full of you know what, <laughs> you know what's going to come out of your mouth. <laughs> it's what will come out of your mouth, and that is what's going to control your life. So what is it? Sometimes you see people and you say, my God, they are so full of it. <laughs> it's because it's out of the abundance of their mouth. So what is it that you have in abundance in your heart? It is all and everything that you have accumulated and stored up in great quantity, including negative thoughts, the resentments, the unbelief, and the fear and doubts, and of course a lot of other things. Abundance represents, and this is the important thing, abundance represents the things that you have held the most in thought and preoccupation. It's what you hold to the most. It is this abundance of the heart that Proverbs 23 speaks about. Proverbs 23, 7. Familiar scripture. Proverbs 23, 7 says this. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Now this is not referring to just casual thoughts a person has or thoughts that come and go or come up from time to time. It is referring to the thoughts that dominate, that reside deep down in the heart all the time. This is a reflection of what happened to Job because of the deep fears he harbored all his life that caused him to suffer disaster and great loss. This led Job to say in Job chapter 3, verse 25, Job chapter 3, verse 25, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. What Job had in abundance in his heart was fear and dread that he deeply believed would come to pass. You remember he believed, and he would talk about this every day. He believed he had seven sons. Remember he had three, ten kids, three daughters, seven sons. He believed that his sons would sin against God and that this sin would cause them to suffer destruction and cause him to lose everything. This was a fear that he had, and he prayed to combat this fear daily. So this is something that he had in his mind, on his mind, in his heart, deeply rooted in abundance. He believed this so deeply that the fears, in fact, did come, uh, did come to pass. So ask yourself, what is in my heart in abundance? And what have I been programming into my heart in abundance, just as Job did? Hopefully, you are programming with abundance the word of God. Go back to verse 37 and notice what it does not say. This is verse 37 of Matthew 12. Uh, uh, and we looked at verses 34 and 37. Verse 37 says like this. It says... By your words you will be justified, and by, no, I'm sorry. I said, I want to talk about what it doesn't say. It does not say by your works you will be justified, and by your works you will be condemned. No, Jesus says it's by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, I want to make a point clear here. It is important that Christians do good works, and the Bible does say that there is some reward to be received for good works. But this is not what gets you over. It's by your words. By your words, you will be justified. Justified means declared righteous. 
You're not declared righteous by your works. You're declared righteous by your word. And we see this in how you get saved. You get saved by your words and by your mouth. This is set forth in Romans 10, 9, 10, which we obviously all know. Romans chapter 9, I mean Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. At verse 9 it says that if you confess, that is say, with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession, speaking words, is made unto salvation. You are justified by your words. Now, change your words and change your life. To change your life, you have to let God's words come out of your mouth to give God something to confirm in your life. If you do not like what you have been experiencing in life, then change your words. And, of course, change your heart. And, of course, change your thoughts about yourself. Let the word of God get down into your heart so that, that, so that there is an abundance of the word there. Then, when you open your mouth, out comes the word of God, and then God will confirm that word in your life. Now, what prompts you to confess the word of God is how deeply you believe and have faith in these words. Belief and faith are so important. Your faith and belief are essential components of God's system. To repeat, God's system involves us knowing his word, believing his word, confessing his word, so that he can confirm his word in your life. To move successfully in God's system, you need to know the importance of belief. Your belief. It is not enough, as I said before already, it's not enough to know the word. It's not even enough to say the word. You have to believe it because you can get up and say the word like you're doing a performance, like actors do reading a script. You have to believe it. These words have to be accompanied by strong belief. Now, how do you know when you're operating in strong belief and faith? First, you have to act as if God's word is true. You have to act as if the word that you're saying is true. For example, if God's word says this, and it does, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Then you have to act like a strong person, how a strong person acts, and act as if you are strong. As a matter of fact, in the book of Joel, God actually tells us, let the weak say, I am strong. He's saying, Act as if you're strong. And you can see the example that Jesus gives us, and you can act on that. We see this where Jesus is asked by his disciples, and they ask him, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The answer of Jesus is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew at chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. You need to read the whole thing. I just extracted these two verses. That's Matthew 18, 2 and 3. At 2... He's responding to that question they asked, who is the greatest in the, in the kingdom of, he, uh, of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him, the little child, in the midst of all of them. And in verse 3, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But this is what, what I want you to understand. 
What Jesus is saying there is that you need to have a childlike faith and belief. The thing we all know about a child, and those of you who have children or have had children know this, is that when you tell them something or promise them something, they hold on to this with total expectancy that they will get it, will get what you promise. For example, you may say, I'm going to take you to Disneyland, or we're going to the circus in town on Saturday, or we're going to the store to get a new toy. They expect this trip to happen. And they do what they have to do to get ready for the promised trip. They'll get up on Saturday morning and dress themselves <laughs> and be ready for you to take them to where you promise. This is the believing attitude of a child that Jesus is urging us to have with respect to the word of God and God's kingdom and promises. With God's word, you need to expect the promise to come to pass and get ready for them. Get ready for it with the faith and believing attitude of a little child. In other words, you know it's going to happen. That's the kind of faith that you need to have. And remember, Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith it's impossible to please him. You have to have and develop the believing attitude of a child. In other words, you don't have any question that what he promised is true and will come to pass and so forth. That's the faith and believing attitude of a little child. And that's what Jesus was illustrating in that example, although you don't always hear that explained. I should say this is my explanation of it, okay? But I like my explanation of it. Some personal experiences with the, with the word. Now, these are my personal experiences. I think you were all moved by the examples that I gave in Apostle Price's life that dealt with the restoration and so forth and so on. So I thought I'd speak to you about a few things that happened to me. And these are, these are not, well, one is major. Well, two, a couple are major. And there are a lot of things, and, and I think we need to speak more about how we apply the word so you can see that we stand on the word, we believe in the word, and we have seen the word come to pass. So you can actually see how confessing the word can impact how you meet the challenges that come your way. This is big and small challenges alike. Now, let me share with you some personal experiences. First was what would be considered a big challenge, the time when I was diagnosed with cancer. And I've shared this story with you before, aspects of it at least. At the time I was diagnosed with spreading prostate cancer, I had seen a number of well-known individuals who had received, and I had been in the presence of some of these individuals, by the way. Uh, in fact, I think I was in the presence of all of them. At, at the time I was diagnosed with the spreading cancer, I had seen a number of well-known individuals who had recently received a similar diagnosis and ended up dying from the cancer. Now, one of the first to succumb to the cancer was our own CCC East Pastor Alan Landry. You remember that some years ago. Another prominent religious figure was Bishop G.E. Patterson. Patterson, he was the bishop of the Church of God in Christ, Kojic, the entire uh, Kojic Church. And Bishop Patterson was battling uh, advanced prostate cancer when his death was announced due to congestive heart failure. Jerry Arbach, most of you remember him as a Broadway actor and star of Law and Order. He died from prostate cancer. You can check this out. You can, I'm sure on, if you Google these, you will find that what I'm saying is true. Uh, Merv Griffin, the TV star and show producer, 
he also died of prostate cancer. Now, if diagnosed early, let me say this, there is almost no reason why any man should die from prostate cancer if the diagnosis comes early enough. This is why men, you need to get your checkups. You need to get your blood workup done. However, and I point out to, to the, the individuals who are practicing herbal medicine and alternative uh, medicine and so forth and so on, you cannot discover prostate cancer from looking at the iris of anybody's eyes, from looking under the soles of their feet. You can't, you have to have blood to examine. So get your blood work up. Now, so as I said, no man should die from this if it's diagnosed early enough. However, when I was diagnosed, the deaths of these well-known figures, and there are quite a few others, by the way, I didn't list, list this, and then these were other people that, that I, I knew of, even in the ministry. Uh, uh, this was in the background, the deaths of these individuals, and it did give me some concern. Now, I did not expect to die from cancer, but I think the fact that that thought was in my mind is what led the Holy Spirit to guide me to Psalms 118.17, which said just point blank, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. That couldn't have been a more spot-on scripture for somebody who was attacked with cancer and had seen other people die from the cancer. 118.17, Psalm 118.17 says right there, I, will, you, I, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. So I began confessing Psalm 118.17 daily and went through two stages of radiation treatment for the disease. I did the radiation seed implant, which is a surgical implant where they implant time-released radiation seeds into uh, the body. And then after that, I had a number of weeks of what's called external beam radiation, where you go in and they shoot radiation into into the body. In any event, that's a lot of radiation. And I think I told you before that uh, I had been told that this amount of radiation would cause you to be weak afterwards and you might suffer this and you might suffer that. And so I didn't suffer anything. I, I did not have the fatigue that people talked about. And I told you that I did these radiation treatments at Mount Sinai Hospital, which is across Central Park on 105th, 106th Street, and so on. And then after the radiation treatment, rather than being fatigued, I would walk, not take the bus or tag, I would walk through the park for exercise, go to our church at 96th Street and go to work. That was every, I never missed a day's work uh, during these treatments and so forth. So, uh, now, but what I want to point out to you are the important things that I learned from that uh, challenge with that disease. First, I saw the work of the Holy Spirit leading me to the scripture in Psalm 118. Being driven to this scripture and standing on this scripture, along with other scriptures on healing, it just increased my realization of the importance of the Holy Spirit as our helper, guide, and comforter. And this is what I want you to understand. The Holy Spirit is given to us for all of these things. He's our advocate. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He's the one who guides us into all truth. Uh, and all of it can come under the rubric of comfort, comforter. And the fact that the Holy Spirit 
was ever present within me. See, this I knew, and ready to render aid and comfort where needed. Now, I knew this, but it's like what Job said at the end of Job, and you can read the scripture. Job said, I had heard of thee, speaking of God, with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. After God had brought him through all this. This is a case of me. I had heard that the Holy Spirit was within me and resided in me, but I sort of accepted it up here. After this, I knew it. I knew it. So, you need to know that the Holy Spirit is present within you, present to help. And we need to be aware of this presence and to do what the words tell us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. This is why these words have such meaning. Meaning, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Six, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. In other words, trust in the Lord and forget about what you understand about the situation. Forget about what the doctors tell you might happen with this stage of the disease. Trust in the Lord and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now we acknowledge the protecting presence of the Holy Spirit and one sure way to acknowledge God is to acknowledge and stand on his word. This is what you want to do. Know the presence of the Holy Spirit. And by, and by the way, let me say this, and, and I know you know this. The Holy Spirit at work in you is God at work in you. It's God's Holy Spirit we're talking about. Okay? Now the second thing I learned from my challenge with cancer was the comfort value of confessing, speaking God's word. The comfort value. Making the confession daily of Psalm 118.17 gave me hope, comfort, and reassurance about my situation and increased my belief and faith in these words that I was speaking. Now, the third thing I learned, which is closely allied to what I just said, I learned was the importance and absolute necessity of confessing God's word so that he could act to confirm his word, as he said he would do. In the final analysis, God did confirm his word that I confess. Those words were that I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord, declare the words of the Lord. And that's what I'm doing this morning. This is many, many years later. Now, in other less critical situations, I found that confessing God's word was very beneficial. And these are some experiences that some of you may have had and may not have realized that you were being aided by God. But let me give you a couple. These, these happened recently in the last few weeks. Now, but this is the thing that I do. Before I start out on a trip to undertake a particular task, the scripture that I confess is Psalm 1832. And it's here for you to have because you may want to start using the same. Psalm 1832 says this, it is God, you know, the old wording in the scripture is it's God who girds you with strength and makes your way perfect. But here, this is a new rendition. It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He arms me with strength so I can do what has to be done. And then he makes my way perfect. I can give you two recent examples of how God confirmed his word. It was time for me to renew my driver's license, which would expire on my birthday, October 21st, which I just recently celebrated, as you know. I was, pre it was, I was pressed for time 
on this particular day because I had several meetings back to back on this particular day that I had planned to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles, the DMV. Now, I arrived at the DMV office at 10.55 a.m. I went up and got the ticket that was required, and my ticket number was 752. I said, 752? <laughs> I got inside the office, and the room was so full and packed that you couldn't find a place to sit. I thought that I would be there for hours, especially with that number. But just as I went to sit down, the number 752 was flashed on the screen. So I went to the window, and the person said I had to go to another window and directed me to go to that window. But this is what the person said, and I don't know if they tell everybody this. They said, I will put your number first. So as I proceeded to sit down again, my number was called at this new window on the other side of the room. Here I, was to, I, here I told the official I wanted to renew my enhanced license. How many of you have an enhanced driver's license? I see two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Anyway, it gives you a, a, a few more benefits and so forth in terms of navigating around the country. I think we can go into Canada uh, with it and, 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 and so forth. Anyway. But it requires you to bring in all kinds of ID, like your birth certificate, two original IDs, your original Social Security card, birth. I had done this before. And I, I, I said, I don't need to do this. I have one already. She says, okay, you need to go to this window and have your existing license photographed. So she directed me to another window. Uh, and she also said, I will put your number first. Now, I hadn't been told that before when I went to get my license reviewed. Re to be renewed. So I was able to proceed to this window immediately as the number was flashing immediately. Now at this window my license was photocopied and I was able to have my new picture taken. I was told to wait until they flashed my number again to go to the window to take the eye exam and to pay for the, to pay the renewal fee. As I was walking in that direction because they pointed it was going to be on the other side of the room as I was walking in the direction of the window, my number flashed. At the window, I did the eye test and I passed it so I can still see <laughs> without, without glasses. And uh, uh, so I went to the window and passed the eye test and was given the amount to be paid. I paid the fee and received my temporary license. One, two, three. Now remember, I arrived at the office at 10.55 a.m., when I left, it was 11, 11 a.m. I have never seen that. Has anybody had this kind of experience at DMV? I can remember sitting in years past. I can remember sitting, and it looked like every number was called but mine, so forth. This was all of, of 16 minutes, going to four different windows. It might have been five windows. As I left the room, it was even more packed. It looked like nobody had left, so forth. And I just went through... That's favor, but it's also God confirming his word that he would arm me with strength and make my way perfect. My way could not have been made any more perfect than that. So it's a simple example, but it, it actually happened. Here's another one. Some weeks ago, it was the time that I missed service here, I was scheduled to attend the 30th anniversary of Living Word Church, which is located in White Plains, New York. Uh, the pastor there is Pastor Ray. He's a son in the ministry of Apostle Price. 
My plan was to use Uber to go to and from White Plains Church. I didn't want to rent a car and just to drive up there and back. So I was going to use Uber. On Saturday, the day before the anniversary service, I went to a memorial service in Harlem for a longtime friend of Crenshaw Christian Center in New York. At that service, I met a former member of our church who now attends the Living Word Church in White Plains. And she asked if I would be attending the anniversary service. And I said, yes. And I said I would be going by Uber. This is what she said. She said that she would be happy to pick me up in the city, take me to the church, and also bring me back into the city after the service was over and after the special event that they had after service. Now, again, this is favor, springing from God's confirming his word that he would make my way perfect. Now, I'm going to tell you one more experience as it is an example of God's power of protection. And God protects us in so many ways and in so many times that sometimes you're not aware of it. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about this one. I think I've mentioned briefly before, I have stressed to you in the past how the full Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell on the inside of each of us. This dwelling of the Godhead within each of us gives reality to the words in 1 John, that's little John, back of the, the book before Revelations, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. And you all know what it says. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The he that is in you is the full power of a Godhead. And obviously, this is greater than anything in this world or any other world. Any challenge, anything, any force, anything that we could have to deal with in this world. Now, with this knowledge, I often confess the words of Psalm 46.1, which says this. 46.1 says, and the reason I pass these out to you is that you have these scriptures you can go back to this and refer to them, or you can write them separately, but you have them, and you can use them yourself. Because they're not just for me. They are for you. Psalm 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. He's our refuge, he's our strength, and he's an ever-present help in trouble. So my confession is, I thank you, Father, that you are my refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Now, I'm going to describe a fairly dramatic experience with God's power of protection uh, that went into operation during an accident that I had at home. In my office at home, I have a glass-covered store. I have glass-covered storage and file units all around, surrounding my desk and computer uh, console. And one day I needed to get a book on top, on a top shelf that was over these units. So I stood up on my desk chair that had rollers on it. You can see trouble already. I guess I needed to have this demonstrated. But not only did it have rollers on this particular day, I had sent out the carpeting in that room. Not carpeting, it was a carpet, oriental carpet, to be clean. So here I'm on on polished wood floor standing on a chair with rollers. Uh, and as I leaned forward, the chair spun around and began to roll away out from under me. And I began to fall with my head aimed straight for the glass top units. Now, as I began to fall, I call this pretty miraculous. Something pretty miraculous happened. In an instant, 
and this is really something, uh, I wish you could see it. In an instant, my fall and all the motion literally stopped and was suspended in air. And I think it was so I could see what was going on. I was able to, it just nothing going on, everything suspended, the chair movement stopped, the fall stopped, and I uh, was able to look down where my head was going, going, was going and saw the glass top units. Then the chair moved further toward the middle of the room, away from the, the units. Uh, with me still in it, the chair turned over backwards with me in it and hit the floor. And my head landed softly on the floor. Now, I emphasize, I emphasize landing softly because it literally just did this. It just, just laid down there. To me, that was a miracle because it was not, this is, a hard, this is hardwood floor. My head just barely touched it. No injury or damage of any kind. I have a pretty hard head, but I think falling, the way that was falling, it would have, it would have caused some damage. Now, this experience to me was a clear example of God's presence and protecting power at work. Because this could really have been a serious accident with serious injury with my head hitting the, the glass, especially if it hit the edge of the glass, which sort of extended a little bit over and, and so forth. Now, I'm sure that each one of you can recall some incident where God's power protection saved you. You might not have been aware of it. I have experienced this, and I've heard a number of individuals right here in the church tell me about this, where somehow something pulled you back from stepping off the curb as the cars were about to speed up. Now, a lot of you have had this experience, I'm sure. I've had it several times so much that I realized that I really looked to and fro for that. That something was God. So my experiences in life caused me firmly to believe in God's protecting power and presence. So this is why I recite the following. In addition to other scriptures, I recite this affirmation, which is taken from the scriptures. It says, I am surrounded by God's light enfolded in God's love, protected by God's power, and watched over by God's presence, because wherever I am, God is. And it is absolutely true. Wherever you are, God is, because God is there with you. And as I say all the time, that if you came to church this morning expecting to find God, the only way you'll find God is if you brought him in with you. So, very important. Take it from the scriptures. And this is something I recite before leaving the house. Now, when we know, understand, and acknowledge God's presence within, we can rest knowing that we are indeed watched over, and we can rest in the comfort of the words in Psalm 91, verse 1. And you all know this. Elder Ivor recited it this morning. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, note this. While some believers may be waiting for God to act, God is actually waiting for you to confess, to speak the word he has given you so that he can confirm his word in your life. All heads bowed. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. 
At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.